today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about Tesla recycling nearly all of their used batteries, Cybertruck delays, California hydro plants shutting down due to droughts, and Tesla's White House snub, and much more. And as usual, I'm joined by the man himself, Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? Doing well, Matt. Doing well. The stories this week are interesting. Some of them are kind of sad. You mentioned that drought one that just like ooh, when I hear that one, uh, I kind of cringe. But it was a good week overall. We've got some travel coming up. So a quick bookkeeping note. I think we're going to cancel the show next week, right? Yes, we're going to skip next week. So how about this week? How was your week and what did you uh, publish this week? <laughs> it's been a hectic week, but this week I published a video on lab grown meat and how it could potentially help us with climate change. But the big question is, would you actually want to eat cloned lab-grown meat? <laughs> That's the giant million-dollar question. Would you? So one, yeah, one little thing <laughs> that people don't think about is we have Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meat now. That is not lab-grown meat. That is a formulation of mushrooms or whatever it is, their secret sauce to make a burger that has the consistency of meat. What mm -hmm. you're talking about is completely different. Fantastic video. I watched it uh, two days ago. And um, yes, definitely worth watching. And I don't know. I'm a little torn on that one. I, that's why I haven't done it myself. I'm super torn on how I feel about that. Um, yeah. Anybody who thinks our current meat situation is super healthy is, is kidding themselves. So we're yeah. not exactly starting from uh, a high ground. But yeah, interesting. What about you? Yeah, my video is we had a little delay with our sponsor's uh, approval. So we might be publishing it in a, like an hour or two. But we did a video on boxable and modular homes, which is something that Matt has done as well. He yeah. looked at a bunch of different modular home makers. We focused on boxable, which is the um, the company where Elon Musk is is uh, allegedly you know hanging out in uh, <laughs> a boxable fifty thousand dollar house owned by SpaceX. So really interesting stuff. And our our kind of take was, you know, the the ramifications of solving housing like this has really broad reaching implications. So good stuff. I actually talked to them and I asked them point blank. I'm like, is Elon living in one? And they said to me, uh, we can neither confirm nor deny, but wink. Yeah. <laughs> they, basically, <laughs> they basically admitted it, which was pretty funny. Yeah, exactly. Those are they're good, really good guys over there. So. so let's jump right into it with our very first story. Our headline story this week was about Tesla and how they're claiming that 92% of their battery cell material can now be recovered in their recycling process. So they've alluded to the fact that they want to be a closed loop system where batteries go out, go into cars, cars come back, they recycle the batteries, and the process repeats over and over again. And this really is the, 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 the nail in the coffin for anybody who says that EVs aren't the answer because not only do you get two to 3,000 miles out of them, but afterwards you can recycle all the materials. One thing about this article as, as I was reading it is they don't mention what it is. They call it their unique battery recycling system. And the reason I mention this is because if you look here, it says, imagine if a thousand kilowatt hours of battery packs went out. That's about, you know, like 12 or 13 cars, 14, 15 cars. If they were to get them back, they recover all of it via physical separation. That makes sense, right? If you're either like, you know, you're grinding them up or you're doing something to just break the battery material apart. All of it is still there. Like it doesn't get, it doesn't get lost. And then the black mass enrichment is 97% effect effective. And then the purification where they actually take it and purify the materials into high enough levels for battery packs results in 95, 95% of it. So imagine that your thousand kilowatt hours that went in 
result in 921 code hours of battery packs. That's after decades of use and millions of miles of driving or whatever the case might be. This is super awesome news. Now, there are a couple of different ways you can approach this. Typically, you're going to have a, like big grinders. I remember I was, work, I was talking with a company called Lifecycle who has a, kind of this water submerged tech where they just throw all the batteries in water and then they grind them underwater. And the reason is, otherwise you have to make sure they're all discharged. So you can kind of skip that step. If there's a little bit of heat uh, that is released, the water absorbs it, no big deal. And you grind this into what they call black mass. The black mass then, the tricky part, if anybody who knows chemistry, is how do you separate stuff? Like if you know, I kind of think of like the the 49er during the gold rush, how do you separate gold from other stuff? Well, you got to figure out, well, gold is super dense and heavy. So if you were to throw it into anything that you can separate by mass, that helps. Other materials, then uh, there's different approaches. There's also like electrometallurgy where you actually allow things to participate, uh, precipitate into various substances and then separate those out. Whichever approach you take is kind of the, the secret sauce. And Tesla hasn't really unveiled anything from what I can tell. But they did, they did mention that this new plant, at least the first phase of it, is fully up and running as of Q4 2020. So that was, you know, six, seven, eight months ago. And the company has already recycled 1,300 tons of nickel, 400 tons of copper, 80 tons of cobalt in 2020. So yeah, this is really exciting. And this does finally close the loop on what we've been talking about and why electric vehicles are going to be, you know, the runaway success. And the economics will make sense shortly as well. Yeah, this is this is a topic I'm actually very passionate about because this is like, for me, the missing piece of the puzzle. Once you figure this out, you can run at full speed with producing EVs and battery storage and things like that. And I've also talked to Lifecycle, didn't do a video on them specifically, but I have talked to them. Uh, I've talked to American Manganese, which is another big player in the market. And what I find fascinating is, but the way American Manganese handles it is they're, they're licensing their technology to be used on location wherever the manufacturing is actually happening, which is exactly what Tesla's talking about doing because it's the more economical way to do it because you're, can, you can tailor the recycling process to the exact chemistries you're actually manufacturing. So it, it removes a couple of pieces from the puzzle. So it reduces the steps you have to take and then you don't have to transport materials all over the place back and forth. Where Lifecycle is doing something called the spoken hub model where there's a centralized facility that's doing the main processing and then there's like separate hubs that are collecting and grinding the stuff up to ship it to that central location. It's two different ways to handle this problem. And one is not necessarily better than the other because it it's gonna depend heavily on who needs the recycling done? If you're a major player like Tesla manufacturing gobs of your own batteries, it's probably better to do what they're doing and what American Manganese is doing. But if you're a smaller player and you have smaller amounts of batteries, going with something like Lifecycle probably makes more sense economically because you don't have to handle the, the, the details yourself. So it's like there's, it's interesting to see which one of these two approaches is going to lead to the best um, economical return for different companies and which companies go which direction. Because I know Lifecycle has a bunch of big players they're they're partnering with, and the same thing with American Manganese. They're, they have some big players they're partnering with. And when I saw the write-up of how Tesla's handling it, I just wondered, is this going to be a Redwood Materials kind of a thing? It doesn't sound like it, because Redwood Materials is doing recycling on their premises. And then I wondered, right. are they is Tesla doing this on their own, or are they partnering with somebody like American Manganese to help them refine their process? I, it's There's no details. I've looked everywhere, and I can't find anything on it. So I'm just fascinated to know what they're actually doing. 
the tricky part of, with this is this is going to give automakers another like gauntlet to go through, which is, are you going to build your own batteries? And now are you going to recycle your own batteries? Yeah. And if you don't, it'll be harder and harder to compete. Tesla's going to spend a lot of money to stand this up. But when they do, they can yes. turn around, buy their cars back at the end of their life, you know, refurbish the outside, maybe sell them to the robo taxi fleets, take their battery packs, recycle those. When you start to get to that level of vertical integration, it becomes really, really tricky to, to compete with. I would actually say there's one actually piece that American Manganese brought to me again and again, which is scrap. It's not even just getting those batteries back from dead cars. There's a lot of scrap in the production, lots of batteries that don't pass quality assurance. So if they're in the manufacturing line and they get scrapped at the end, you literally just send them to a different side of the warehouse, they get recycled and they go right back in the front again. So it's like, that's a huge gain in what you can do for your output just by collecting the scrap. So Tesla's model, in my opinion, is probably the best path forward for big companies like them. Yeah. So for big companies, if you can afford to, to stand up your own battery manufacturing, your own recycling, I, I think it will make sense. But there's also going to be a lot of smaller players. Mm-hmm. And maybe early on, like if you're a new startup, maybe you're Rivian or Lucid, maybe you're Archimoto, one of these other smaller companies, you just say, yeah, life cycle model. Like I'll, I'll have a subscription model where I'll send this stuff off. You guys process it and we, we can buy it back from you or whatever the the model might be. And then for the bigger players, maybe they have to stand it all up. But you do feel for these companies because, you know, like GM used to build cars and now we're talking about they have to become <laughs> a mining company and a battery company and a recycling company. And um, it is, it's a tough road. I, I do think that they're going to have to get to the full stack just like Tesla will. Otherwise, Tesla's cars are always going to be cheaper because they're just in this closed loop where they, you know, they just keep <laughs> turning around. Um, but I think time will tell. And I'm really hoping to see more details. I agree with you. I don't think it's Redwood Materials. I think this is purely in-house and it's been really quiet. This mm-hmm. might be one of their most stealth projects because I, I think we know more about everything else about what they do uh, besides this. Yeah, if anybody knows, let us know. Right, so the next up is more Tesla. Uh, Tesla finally confirms that the Cybertruck is kind of delayed until 2022. And this was looking more and more likely as time went by because it was delivered by the end of 2021 for the longest time, and yet we weren't seeing any details on it, and the hints kept coming. And during their Q4, Q2 2021 financial results last month, they didn't address it directly, but they did say it's planning to, the Cybertruck's going to happen after the Model Y ramps up in the Gigafactory in Texas. So that was the first kind of clue, and it was a few weeks later they basically said, yeah, it's it's not going to happen, because on their website they've posted this image, which basically says, "Full, fully refundable, you will be able to complete your configuration as production nears in 2022. So that was the final confirmation. Now, I'm, I'm a reservation holder <laughs> on this. I, I put my money down way back when. So for me personally, I was not ready to get one in 2021. So I'm actually kind of happy <laughs> that they're delaying this to 2022 because it lets me kick the can down the road to decide if I'm actually going to go through it or, with it or not. I'm curious, what, what's your take on, on the news for this? <laughs> I think we should have probably, they should have probably just said this earlier. We could have probably all kind of seen this coming. There's just so much that they're working on. And when your factory that you're going to be producing these out of is in progress, and that is tough enough uh, to begin with, I think we should have probably seen it. Part of it is I think they, Tesla has a weird, I mean, we talked about the no PR thing. They have this weird approach where there's so much exciting things that they're always working on. There's, there's, you know, AI days coming up. So you don't really have too much time to think about the negative. But 
I think a little bit more of a expectation set would have been good if you just told people, look, odds are if you're early reservation holder, you're going to get it mid-2022 and then move on. We don't have to keep... It's kind of like the... Um, if you ever had airline the delays, let's say you're at a flight, you're at the gate, and it says, oh, delayed five minutes, and you know, oh, no, this is not going to be five minutes. But they <laughs> then they go, now five more minutes, and then ten If they had just said delayed four hours, we're going to take off at eight o'clock, you might be okay. You go grab your laptop, sit down, grab a bite. But instead, you just keep kicking it down five minutes, and that's infuriating. That's kind of what has happened a little bit. But you're right. The Cybertruck is so cool, and... People have so much excitement that it doesn't really matter. When whenever the Cybertruck is available, like the people who want it are going to be so pumped. And until yeah. then, you got to just be patient, right? So but, it'll happen. Like some other things that they're working on, I think the the Roadster, for example, I don't even think it's anywhere near ready. I don't. <laughs> they did mention that they the engineering completed the Cybertruck recently, and I think between engineering complete and manufacturing ready is another huge stage because you could kind of hand build one thing but is it optimized for assembly and the exoskeleton is another major wrinkle yeah it i don't think it's a major concern any of the tesla haters out there are gonna are gonna say that this was another delay or some some silly thing but the reality is it's gonna be super cool they're gonna do it if you have a reservation just be patient it's gonna be awesome i do think uh, you just gotta be patient yeah the delay doesn't bother me at all it's on top of which they're not the only one hitting delays. It's like Rivian has had delay issues recently because of the chip shortage. Uh, like Lordstown is having delays. It's like everybody's kind of hitting these hiccups along the way, but it's making it look like 2022 is going to be the year of the truck. Because like I think almost every truck is supposed to be coming out next year. So it's going to be a flood of pickup trucks coming our way. At Jonathan Root says, more time to save for the Cybertruck. Yeah, I'm with you, Matt. I, you know, if, if they called me today and they said, hey, Ricky, we have your Cybertruck. You ready? Where's your, where's our 70K? I'd be like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this money we saved to, to go YouTube full time. I'd hate to burn burn it uh, right away. But if you give me like a year, year and a half, and yeah. then we get it, to, you know, get some time to get our feet under us. Uh, that's a good news for me. Yeah. Anybody who's ready and has the cash on hand. Yeah, it's a di- little bit of a disappointment, but but um. <laughs> it should be we're, we're gonna be okay it's gonna it's gonna get here and it's gonna be awesome when it does the next story is the one as soon as you were reading it i was thinking oh man this is so uh so depressing but the there's a huge california hydropower plant that's shutting down due to drought so this is the edward hydroelectric power plant at lake oroville in california and you can see here how low the water water level is they're they're saying that the lake is currently at about 24 percent full which is uh, 34%. Um, it's 34% of the historical average, which is pretty bad. Uh, we're, we're in a little bit of a dire strait, uh, to be sure. And the end result of this, this drought and the fact that we're losing hydropower is we've lost about 1,000 megawatts of capacity. This is a horrible feedback cycle. Because of drought, we don't have water. And because of, because of the fact that we don't have water, we lose ability to produce electricity, which means we're going to have more, you know, energy produced in dirtier ways, which will lead to more drought. It's a horrible, horrible cycle there. The, the California Department of Water Resources Board is is in the process of uh, of starting to come down with reduced water requirements. It hasn't we haven't been hit with anything yet, but they're saying 15 percent. And this this next part is a little bit of a sticking point for me. I think we've alluded to this in the past, but 
here in California, you know, people don't think about California in terms of like farming. You think, you know, Hollywood and technology and Silicon Valley, we kind of have it all. But we're also like the number one farming state. We, we export tons and tons of crops, which is weird for a state that has no water and has, <laughs> has no rain. But what ends up happening is we, we do a, we use a lot of our public water for private farming and that's okay. But we then do stupid things like grow a ton of almonds and almonds are incredibly water intensive, like a scale of a hundred or thousand X more water intensive than other crops. And California is covered in almond trees. If you ever drive between Northern and Southern California, look and you look at the different farms, you're going to see a ton of them. And people have long said, this is one of your problems. Knock this off. Don't use public water for growing almonds in a desert, you know, in a very arid conditioned state and instead use that money for their people. And after that, then we can talk about conserving water. But until then, this feels like a, a misuse of resources. And I don't know if you've ever watched the show Goliath on Amazon. No, it's fantastic. It's on, it was a Billy Bob Thorne was never my my favorite actor, but I watched season one. It was incredible. And I think season two or three season is about this very topic. They talk about the, this water resource issue in California. So it is tricky. The immediate answers don't jump off the page, but we need to buckle in and be ready for this because we also have like record fires. The largest fire in California history is raging right now um, with no end in sight, little, you know, Northern California. So um, tough, tough times. I think we need to start to get clever about how we approach the f- different things like desalination and all that. But what do you, what do you think, Matt, as a, as a partial it, observer, it impartial makes, observer? It makes my heart sink. Cause it's like, uh, like another shoe is dropping. It's like with all the wildfires and the drought that's been going on, this is just another sign of, this is not something that's like the drought comes for a couple of years and it goes away and then it kind of comes back. It's like, no, this is just going to keep compounding on itself it's not going to turn back. This problem is just going to become worse and worse for California, which just makes my heart sink. Um, and it also shows how fragile the kind of utility system is and how when you're talking about renewables like hydro, solar, wind, it's very regional. Like I, whenever I talk about hydropower or how electricity is generated, I always have at least one person from Canada saying, we're 100% hydro up here. And it's like, that's great, but that doesn't work for pretty much everywhere else. You have to be in a very specific location for that to work. And sadly, kind of the sands are shifting from underneath California and kind of like, you're not going to be able to rely on hydropower probably going forward. It's just going to get worse and worse in time. But there are other options. It's just that you have to diversify more. But thankfully right now, I think it was like you said, it was 15% of the state's electricity is hydro, which is a lot. But because of this, I think the state really does need to focus on where's the water use going? Like growing almonds is insane. Like, why are you allowing that to happen? Like, that's an insane amount of water that's one people need to for nourishment. It's like we need desalination plants probably to assist with fresh water. It's like there's so many things that California needs to be doing to try to get ahead of this. And right now it feels like California, this is as an observer looking in, feels like they're progressive on a lot of things, but they're also kind of being very reactive to other things. And this is where it feels like California is being more reactive than they should be. They, they need to get ahead of this. I agree. Really well said. One of the things about hydropower you mentioned, it's one of the few uh, sources of storage, which mm-hmm. when that goes away, you're really screwed because the other forms of energy you can't really, uh, can't really store. 
I've always said aren't aren't gonna aren't gonna be the answer. We need good new fresh ideas and and engineering. But desalination, um, Rob Rob Womack says is very energy intensive. It is, and this is the problem. We have to start to figure this out. It is intensive. It's not going to be easy, but we do need to generally, you know, we need to just kind of terraform California and <laughs> have so much fresh water that we're just turning green and not brown anymore. But yeah, it's a tough, tough situation. Speaking of politics, we could jump to the next story, which is about Tesla being snubbed by Biden's EV announcement that he did recently. And, uh, it, we were speculating, it was last week we were speculating about this, that it looked like it was because of Tesla not being union, a union-friendly company, and it, that is the truth. It's basically the PR secretary came out and basically had said, yes, it's because the we, this event was for the auto workers union, which is why Tesla wasn't there. For me, my basic take on this is... I don't see this as a big deal, personally. This is why I'm really curious to hear what Ricky's thoughts are, because I don't know if we're going to be aligned on this. My take on this was <laughs> when, it, when it happened, I was like, big deal, who cares? And as the week's gone on, it's kind of like, still, big deal, who cares? And part of the reason for that is that this press briefing and this uh, executive order signing that Biden did was about transitioning gas car companies into electric. And that's not what Tesla is. Tesla is 100% electric today. And yes, they are the leading EV manufacturer right now in, in the world. And they spearheaded this and they made this, they helped make this happen. Yes. But at the same time, it's like they didn't need to be there because this is more about the companies like GM and Ford trying to get them to switch over to electric. So I understand from a policy point of view why it made more sense to have them there. The only part of this that didn't make sense to me was they didn't even acknowledge Tesla. They didn't even mention their name in the whole event, which I thought was a little awkward. But at the same time, this is a politics press event. They're they're glad handing. They're trying to placate the auto workers union and get them on board and show support. So it was geared towards the auto workers union. When it comes down to it, policy is what matters, not these press junkets. So it's like, what's the policy? And when it comes down to the policy, Tesla is part of this process because you've got the infrastructure bill is going to be helping Tesla out with all the money that's going to be going to the charging infrastructure that Tesla will be experiencing. Uh, the EV tech, the rebates that are coming out. Tesla, when you buy a Tesla, you're still going to get $10,000 off your car for the rebate. So it's not like Tesla has been left out in the cold. The policy does cover Tesla. It was just this press junket. And for me, I was just kind of like, whatever, it doesn't matter. This is just, you know, politics being politics. And it didn't matter to me. I'm, I'm curious what your take is. I don't know if you'll be in the same camp or not. I think this is bad for the industry. And the reason why I say this is because there's there's this people don't think, oh, it's Tesla and the Mach-E and the ID4 versus gas car. There's this like very tribal sense that it's Tesla versus all these other companies. And there's a lot of hate. And this does not help matters. This is complete nonsense. If it wasn't for Tesla, these presidents and these jokers would not be standing here doing this. Um, they, <laughs> the lobbyists and the oil companies have fought this for, for decades. So, you know, Tesla should have like a national, like te the day that Tesla was founded should be a national holiday as far as I'm concerned, because that's how impactful what they've done has been. And I think you and I agree about this. We want to, we want to see what Tesla has done and we want to see everybody else follow, follow suit and for, for positive uh, things to happen. But if, People are divided the way they are. I don't think that serves them well. Here's a, this is from that article. 
I'm AF. I believe that's angry as F um, because <laughs> of the blatant disrespect to Elon and his 18 years of hard work. He, however, is doing bigger things and focused on SpaceX missions. None of the leaders from Legacy Auto will ever hold a candle to him. And all they have is their car companies, Liz Gibson. So that's from a Tesla fan. And if you, if you look at Twitter, there, it's full of the same kind of sentiment. And that's the last thing we need. I'd like to see more unity between Tesla, like people who love Tesla and the others. But at every turn, it's this kind of foolish nonsense. And I've always told you, like, politics is a, is a largely useless enterprise. It's not, it's not beneficial or valuable to people. Um, great people, smart people who do great work. Uh, that's what we need. So to that point, like I didn't watch this event. I don't care. I, I don't care about politics very much, but it's bad because I think it'll continue to drive that wedge between between them. As far as the unionized workforce uh, and stuff. Yeah, this is the politics of it, right? Um, the Democratic Party is largely, you know, it's, their biggest con- contributors are typically auto workers association unions and teachers unions and things like that. So they're going to they're going to. Um, you know, they're going to coddle and, and kind of play to them. But that doesn't all have to be bad. But I really do want to see the Tesla fans and the others get along better. So for that reason, let's hope that some positive or future things will change. And to not even mention Tesla is stupid. If yeah. you're not going to invite them because they're not unionized, fine. But you should start by saying we should, we should talk about how, you know, the, how this started, right? Um, yes. General yes. Motors was there. They literally rounded up electric cars and were crushing them, you know, and that's it's just laughable to to people. And I get that. So really, if you just flip it around and have a little humility and give credit where credit is due, this could have been a positive event for me. But that does bug me a little bit. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I do agree with is the fact that they didn't even say the name Tesla at all during the event is where it's kind of like, what, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> like, You didn't invite them. I get it. But why did you not even mention you know, here's the company that's helping to spearhead the shift to EV. And these other companies are now saying that they're going to help get there by 2030. And it's like, you could you could have easily crafted it in a way that would have made the auto workers union happy and still acknowledged the history of how we got here. Um, but yeah, for, but I, I come back to, it's like, it's ultimately the policy that matters. It's like, I didn't watch this event. I didn't care about this event. So it's like the only people that really care about this event would be like the autos workers union and people that are in that space. It's like it, it to me, I know why you're saying it's driving a wedge, but I feel like Tesla fans and as somebody who's a fan of Tesla, it's like, I think we need to kind of stop feeling like the under guy, like, like little dog, like we're like trying to fight up. I'm like, oh, it's a little scrappy guys. We are not the underdogs here. Tesla is the top dog. And so it's like, we don't need to throw a punch in this fight we can basically just step back and go whatever you know just come on it's like come on guys and that's the attitude i've got on this it's part of the reason tesla's just crushing it so who cares that they weren't invited they're, they're come on <laughs> it's just it's just that's part of the reason why i don't care yeah there's there's two kinds of fans there's tesla fans who want to see all the other companies convert over to electric all these mm-hmm. factories that used to make gas polluting cars like shut down and retool for electric and then there's fans who hate these other companies and that's what yeah. i'm I really hope that people, you can separate the two, like just these kinds of events. Don't let that drive a wedge. If there's a car company who's shutting down a plant and retooling it to make electric, like cheer for that. Even yes. if these silly stories come up. Yes. Uh, uh, un, unnamed man 001 says Stellantis was there. Stellantis is this conglomerate of all the losers. Basically, it's like the Fiat's and the uh, Dodge and the cars I would never touch or I would never buy. 
all together. It's, it, what could go wrong? Um, but they were there and they have nothing electric. They have like a, a silly new Jeep that's like a plug-in hybrid, I think. And they have a plug-in hybrid Pacifica. I mean, they have nothing and they're there. It's it's truly embarrassing, I think, at that point when, when I don't know. Uh, it's, a weird, it's a weird one for sure. But I hope all of us who want to see sustainable transportation can not let this kind of stuff get to us because I this has changed nothing for me. I want to see... Uh, Volkswagen, for example, is doing really big things. The ID4 is selling, like, I think they've sold about half of what Tesla's doing, which is huge for a company that was, you know, mired in Dieselgate five years ago. So we have to kind of be forgiving and and hope that good things do come out of this. So I'm, I'm optimistic still, but. Well said. I, I agree <laughs> with that sentiment completely. It's like we need to root for this. Tesla cannot solve this problem, period. They cannot make enough cars. We need all these manufacturers to shift over because that's the only way we can make enough cars to do this. So Tesla needs their help. The world needs their help. We need to root them on when they're doing the right stuff. And when they're not doing the right stuff, we call them on it. And no one company, no one's going to, everybody can't agree to one thing. I don't care how great your vacuum cleaner is. Someone's going to hate you for some reason. That's just how <laughs> yes. it goes, right? It doesn't matter how great the Ford F-150 is. Somebody says it sucks and I'm, gonna, I'm a Dodge Ram guy. That's human nature. We need choices. And in a capitalist society, we need to have car. We have a lot of options out there. Um, so, yeah, um, somebody mentioned that the Pacifica is a, is a fantastic car. I, I wish I, I was joked with my wife. If it was the Honda Pacifica and it was a plug-in hybrid, we would have probably gotten one uh, a couple of years ago. I just don't have the most faith in, in, in their in their cars and stuff. But glad to hear that you've had uh, good good news with it. But that's the point, right? We have to have... 20 companies and 100 cars. That's the only way. You can't... There are people who will never buy a Tesla, but like the Ford F-150 has got them excited or the Mach-E. So that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. We should have a car for everybody. And we have a uh, super chat from Bill, Bill Abar. Thank you so much, Bill. If they allow existing car companies to create plug-in hybrids by adding a small battery to qualify for the $12,000 subsidy, it will drastically slow progress to remove ICE vehicles. Agree 100%. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. Plug-in hybrid should not be part of this. Can't. I completely agree. I completely agree. And I'm, I'm hoping, I actually didn't, I didn't think this was the case. And if it is, they need to address it because that's terrible. And you're right. It'll actually slow things down than where we were before. Well, let's get to the next story. The last story. The last story is, here's what the U.S. needs to do to meet snowballing demand for batteries. Okay. This story, I think, is one of those stories that we should be thinking about. Whenever you see kind of change on the horizon... One of the things that like futurists like to do is look at the various aspects of what would it will take to sustain it and try to get ahead of it. Like for example, when like the rise of personal computing was happening, you know, there was gonna be a huge demand for silicon. Luckily, silicon is really abundant, so there was no concern there. But here with batteries, we need to be thinking about batteries in terms of manufacturing, mining, sourcing, all of it, right? So like for example, in the US, we don't really have a lot of battery companies. Uh, if you remember, there was this company called A123 that was going to revolutionize everything, but they went belly up. Uh, last week, there's a company called Core Power that just built a factory in Arizona. It's a wholly American company. It's not like Panasonic, a Japanese company operating in the Gigafactory, which we have a little bit of that going on. But we need to be talking about the shift, right? So the, the article talks about, you know, if there was a person who was working in a car assembly plant, um, they don't need to have a chemistry PhD, but they need to know how to work on a, a on a battery cell line, right? If that's what they need to shift to. And I think 
there is probably kind of a, there's probably three things to it. The first is we have to get manufacturing back in the US. I've always said this in the, in the past, we've outsourced it because there were people who had skills and there were no local opportunities. That's going to change. Have you seen some of the cars in the competition, the Chinese EV market? They've got some really good cars, the South Korean market, um, those Korea, the, the Ionic, those are incredibly awesome cars. The competition is going to be pretty fierce. And so what we're going to see is battery supplies. If you think you're just going to outbid people and have contracts, you're going to be wrong. Your cars are going to sit waiting on batteries if you don't get this figured out. This is why Ford isn't building more F-150s. They're still figuring out the supply of, of battery supply. So more manufacturing. We need to retrain maybe some of the younger kids, the younger generation going to college or high school. We need to make sure that there's enough people to fill these jobs because there's shortages both in terms of finding qualified candidates and even having enough like you know manufacturing capabilities here in the US. So I think in the next 10 years this problem is currently kind of bad. It's going to be horrible to the point where everything every EV you make will require batteries from some other country. And the minute you're beholden to that and except Tesla because Tesla's proven that they're going to be figuring out every part of this and they're going to be completely vertically integrated. But what does that mean for everybody else? If you're GM and you don't have that same strategy, how are you going to buy a supply? Or if you're a small company and you're not, you know, like Lucid and Rivian are not going to be building their own cells anytime soon and they shouldn't, they should stay focused on building cars. Well, then how are you going to get supply, right? This is probably the challenge of the decade. Uh, we've probably both alluded to this in the past, but I think we got to figure this out and we need to make sure that we are retraining and preparing for this because these kinds of things don't just you can't just flip a switch and be ready for this we are still suffering with software engineers part of why i made this switch and taught myself software is because i remember reading articles about how like there aren't enough americans who can do these jobs and so they're looking around and they pay huge amounts of money anybody in the in the in the, in the audience mm -hmm. if you're thinking about a second career or a first career chemistry batteries software these are these are things you'll never be unemployed I, I quit my software job over a month ago i still get two emails a day hey how do you want to come interview for this software position it there's so much demand for this stuff so the smart person the the, the organized or the the forward-looking person kind of sees that coming so that's really where we need to be as a as a country really and maybe even the world at large what, what's your take it, well for me the part of this that really resonated with me in th that interview was the hammering home of the point that we do a great job in this country from all of our colleges and universities and research groups that we have this amazing scientific kind of setup where we're doing great research and battery breakthroughs and all this different kind of stuff, but it's about the science of it. So it's like you're proving the science of this chemistry, but you're not necessarily looking at how would you actually make that an actual thing that you can replicate and create millions of cells doing this thing? It's more about just proving, can you do it? And what's the energy density of this little battery cell that you created in a lab? And something I always hit on a lot of my videos, I always say it's really hard to go from lab to mass manufacturing. It's incredibly difficult. I mean, Elon's even said that's actually the hardest part. The easiest part is coming up with the idea. The hardest part is figuring out how to make it at scale. And so for me, that was the part that he was hitting on that I thought was so perfect of like colleges and universities need to spend more time when you're doing the research, doing research in a way that you're researching, how can this actually be mass manufactured? Uh, there was a research I was doing a couple months ago on solar cell technology and like a breakthrough in solar cell technology and the university that was doing the research on it 
was do, was building their cells in their research lab using the exact machines that are used in actual solar manufacturing plants. And they were doing it this way to try to figure out, can we do it with the existing material, with the existing machines, the existing tooling, or do we have to modify it in a little way? And they were, as part of the research, trying to figure out the most cost-effective way to actually make the cell at the same time. So when they come out and say, we have a breakthrough technology, it's like they can immediately say, and you can spin this up on your tooling system in months. So it's like, that's the kind of thing that this interview was trying to hit on. And for me, that was the one that resonated most. It's a really good point. Really good point. Uh, John said, I think if a lot of people really looked into the new curriculum in grade schools, you might be quite shocked. Like eliminating cursive. <laughs> I remember that's always been a sticking point for people. Um, <laughs> Do you have an I yeah. write by hand today? Like virtually never. <laughs> Almost never. You're not true. That's true. Yeah. Any parting words, Ricky? So Tesla AI day next week. I'm going to be on travel. I'm going to be in, uh, I'm going to actually, so this will be fun and we'll have a video about this, but I'm going to be in Canada in Montreal meeting with New, uh, Nouveau Monde, the graphite mine. They do a lot of the graphite America, which goes into all of our batteries and they've got plan totally renewable and switching over pillar electric mining equipment, you know, the big augers and drills and excavators and stuff. Kind of cool partnership that i'm gonna go try to talk to them and figure out what's going on over there should be really fun um but next week we're not going to be around and uh we'll see you guys out the week after that thanks as always and don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already hit the notification bell so you don't miss an episode and we're live every thursday except for next week but we're usually live every thursday at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern and you can always listen to the podcast version on the go at vice versa.show and as always thanks so much for watching we'll see you in the next one